Hey friends, it's me, Katie Ann, and your host of the Full Confidence Ahead podcast, where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance, from careers to community. And last week we heard from Mary Ellen about mental health and suicide prevention. If you haven't listened to her episode yet, go back and download it and then go listen to it. She did an incredible job talking to us and talking through this difficult issue of mental health crisis that has really come about during the pandemic and just increased. She suggested putting the crisis text line as a safe number on your phone. So I'm reporting back to you guys. You guys can keep me responsible. I did that and the the text crisis line is 741741. So it is saved on my phone as a contact. And I just love that advice that she said that. In the moment of a crisis, it's already on your phone and it's right there. So go back and download it and listen to it. That was an exceptional podcast with really tangible information for us to combat mental health and to help not only ourselves, but our friends and our family. I also wanted to give a warm welcome to our listeners in Oklahoma. Hey, Oklahoma. If you guys didn't hear last week... I have this goal of reaching all 50 states with the podcast and I was missing, I'm missing a few and Oklahoma was one of them, but now we have a few listeners from Oklahoma. So, Hey, welcome. We're super excited to have you here. I also want to give a shout out to Jill from Iowa. Hey Jill, thanks for being your friend and listener here on the podcast, but you guys now I need help. I'm looking for listeners in Maine. I don't have any connections there and our stats are showing we aren't picking anyone up there. So does anyone know any friends from Maine? Can we get people from Maine to listen? Anyone? Can you help me out there? But I'm so excited to share with you my conversation with Josh Long. So Josh has been in theater as a teacher at Hillcrest High School for 16 years, where he's won six state championships in theater eight national championships in Shakespeare competition sweepstake awards. And Josh is just an incredible teacher. He was a finalist for the Tony Awards of Excellence in Education. He's been named the Canyon School District High School Teacher of the Year Award, along with Utah High School Activities Association's Teacher Coach of the Year, and many other awards. But I really think sometimes the success of a teacher isn't necessarily in the awards they get, but in the excitement they get from their students. So here you guys go, a little spoiler alert, but I used to be one of his students and um, he really changed my perspective on theater and on Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare now. So I would say not only does he have all these accolades and awards, but he has a student who has been converted to Shakespeare. So that is success. Um, you're going to see that this conversation is very fun and dynamic. So if you found it valuable, please share this conversation with your friends and family and make sure to hit follow on the podcast and download the episodes. So you're up to date and you can listen to the episodes wherever you are, whenever you want. Okay, you guys, I am so excited for this episode. We have Mr. Joshua Long here. And the reason why I wanted to do this episode a little bit differently, we're going to tackle Shakespeare here. And Mr. Long, I'm going to tell you why. And I don't think you've ever heard these two stories before. So Mr. Long brought Shakespeare magic into my life. Um, I was on his Shakespeare team for four years. Um, you probably don't know this, but I was a really late bloomer with reading. It took me a long time to read and like to be competent reading. And part of that is because I was left eye dominant. Um, and oh. so I was a super late bloomer. Um, so when I was in ninth grade, the first time I had come and auditioned for your team, that mm -hmm. was kind of around the time I was starting to be like, oh my gosh, like 
I'm feeling a little bit more up to speed with reading, but I wasn't on the Lexile level that I probably should have been at that time. So to me, this is just amazing that you took this girl who was like, ah, reading's okay. I'm not super competent in it. And you instilled love of Shakespeare into her. So like that, that's huge to me. So that was, that was a big deal to me. And the second thing is, I don't know if you know this either. So in the harpist world, so for a podcast listener, I'm a harpist. In the harpist She's world. She's very, very good. Very <laughs> Thank you. But we love to name our harps. And my harp's name is Henry. After oh, the yeah? First, yes. And it's after the first scene you ever cast me in in Shakespeare. Henry the Fourth, Part One, Henry Act Two, Scene Three. Part one. Yep. Yeah. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Anyways, you guys, we are so excited. Mr. Log, we want to start off a little bit with you. How did you get into Shakespeare? Jump us off here. Whew. Um, well, I my first uh, introduction to Shakespeare, I accidentally was put on uh, my junior high mm-hmm. Shakespeare team when I was Wait, a accidentally? Grader. Accidentally. <laughs> Um, okay. I, my parents were out of the country. They were in Romania uh-huh. adopting uh-huh. my little sisters, which is an important detail because if they were in town, they would have never let me oh. do this. <laughs> okay. Um, but I just got a phone call while they were, I was babysitting my siblings while they were in Romania and someone who is now one of my best friends said, hi, um, uh, congratulations, you made the Shakespeare team, please show up at, at the school at this time. And I oh was so God. shy, like I was such a shy kid that I just was like, um, okay. And then <laughs> I felt this like sense of like, I have to now go to this rehearsal and tell this poor teacher that she made a mistake and I never auditioned, I don't even know what a Shakespeare team is. Um, and so I made a, well I didn't make, but I asked a neighbor to uh-huh. drive me to the school at the time of this like first rehearsal, oh, just so goodness. I could go and tell the teacher, you made a mistake. I'm somehow on your list, but I don't even know what this is. Yeah. And so I got there and then the teacher, like any good drama teacher was like, well, why don't you stay and do it anyways? <laughs> and had me like read something on the spot. And she was like, yeah. you're so good, which I'm sure was just, you know, she was just like, <laughs> we need more boys. And right. so, uh, I was like, I went back to the van of the, my neighbor. And I was like, I'm going to stay a couple more hours if that's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then I like committed to do go on the Shakespeare trip and do this whole thing while my parents were in Romania. And then they came back and I was like, um, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to do this. And they're like, what? Acting? Because my family never has done any theater. Like that's not yeah. like anything. So that's, that's my, that was, that's like the first time, but the big passion. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The big passion was in, instilled. Uh, later when I was in college um, uh-huh. and I just auditioned for a production. I was a, a directing major at BYU and I auditioned as an actor. They were doing a production of The Taming of the Shrew uh-huh. uh, directed by Barda Heiner mm-hmm. and BYU had just gotten this big grant and they used all this grant money to fly in a man named Neil Freeman mm-hmm. who had multiple PhDs in Shakespeare studies and particularly studied Shakespeare's first folio. And he spent two weeks with us before we even like got on our feet to rehearse, just like introducing us to uh, all these secrets and things about Shakespeare's original like manuscripts Uh and the hints that he was giving to his actors. If you look at his original manuscripts Uh and that's where it kind of like 
started the the big passion for me that has not dwindled at all in the last 20 years. Yeah, so. no, that's certain. How many years have you had your Shakespeare team now? I was trying to think about that because I was on years ago. Yeah, uh, we've done 16 years now. Wow. 16 Shakespeare teams, yeah. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. this is amazing. And I did not know that you found Shakespeare by accident. That just makes yeah. me totally crack up because yeah. being on your team, I know how passionate you are about it to the point that now I'm passionate about it. You took me, this little girl who who didn't like reading, now I'm obsessed with Shakespeare. Um, to the point that Pericles is my favorite show, which is like yeah. the odd one out there. I'm Isn't like, that such a weird oh, show? Yeah. So good, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to start us off. So why Shakespeare? Why, why should we even care about this guy Shakespeare? What's up? Well, I mean... I can tell you why I care about him. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I guess not so much him as, as like his works. Uh -huh. um, I, he says he had in, in Hamlet, he has Hamlet kind of uh, give a speech to some, some actors like fictional yeah. actors uh, about what he feels they should be doing and why theater is important. And in that he says, uh, it's a, famous speech, maybe um, your listeners have heard it a little bit, but he says that the the whole purpose of doing this mm -hmm. theater is to hold a mirror up to nature. Mm -hmm. And my brain is has always been big on, it's very like analytical okay. and I'll like analyze, like I'm one of those people that like at night, uh -huh. I think about the day and like, okay, did I like, what mistakes did I make there? And like, yeah. what can I do better? And, and, yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm always like analyzing things like that. Yeah. And theater, I think, uh, was created in mm -hmm. the first place by like the Greeks and, and Western theater by the Greeks mm -hmm. and, and, and all that to help human beings study human nature and like mm. how, how to become better people. That is, that is why theater was invented. It's now kind of become like, oh, it's, it's something for entertainment, but that is actually not why it exists in our society. Interesting. It exists Interesting. to give us a, a, a way where we can kind of step outside mm -hmm. of ourselves and our lives mm -hmm. and look, like Shakespeare says, hold a mirror up mm -hmm. and be able to be removed enough that we can realize, oh, I need to do this better in my life or I need to do that I need to take that out of my life. Like that's something mm -hmm. that's kind of toxic and I shouldn't be, do that more. Um, but it was created for a society to come together and mm -hmm. study how to become better human beings. And um, the, the Greeks kind of figured out this whole concept of catharsis and all these things that, that mm -hmm. help human beings become better as a society. And by the time Shakespeare uh, started doing his thing, it had kind of lost that. Um, okay. over time and it, it, it theater throughout history if you study it you'll see it it does it ebbs and flows on how much a society really buys into that and how much a society is like no just give me a bunch of spectacle and give me things i want to see that's what it's for and mm -hmm. it kind of like goes back and forth and when shakespeare mm -hmm. got there it was kind of at a time where people really wanted to see like blood and violence and and go on revenge tragedies were like a big thing mm -hmm. and shakespeare has insight that i do not know how he had it, but mm -hmm. he was able to get theater back on track and say, come to see these plays. And he was very good at making them 
very entertaining for his time period as well. But in it, he was like, I'm going to show you yourself Mm -hmm. in these things. I'm going to hold this mirror up to you, to all kinds of people. And that's what I think is so virtuosic about Shakespeare is the range of, of what, of all of his plays and the different types of human beings that are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we just learn so much about each other, which is, I think, so important, particularly today. Um, I think we're not as good at learning about people who are different than us. And I think Shakespeare uh, helps us do that if we really listen and understand what's going on inside of human beings in, in a ways that I don't think anybody else Lots of people have done that, but to the level that he has have helped us understand what is going on inside the hearts and minds of the the human being is just so neat, I think. No, I totally agree. Um, Having now been like addicted to Shakespeare, I agree. And the word that actually came to mind as you were saying all that is he's one of the people who mastered this idea. Now we call it edutainment, but it was really for education. But to get people to be educated, they use this element of entertainment. And I think of the that through all of his plays, even the histories that has this entertainment. He's, he's the master of the arc, the character arc, which makes it entertaining. And yet you're also educated along the way. And I think something that stood out to me too, is you always taught this when I was on your Shakespeare team, that his themes and his principles are timeless. And so every time I go to a Shakespeare play or I'm in a play, then I always think, okay, what principle is being taught here? And how can I put that in my historical context. And every time without fail, something comes to mind very quickly. It's not hard for me to dig through the principles. Like the principles are very, very timeless and just so apparent in his writing. So, okay. So Shakespeare, and obviously it's important because all English teachers, most of them in the common core have to teach. So obviously there's this idea of like, okay, Shakespeare is important, but we have this disconnect especially starting in high school, we kind of read Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet Uh and we're like, "Uh uh-huh, thumbs down, right? So Uh help us through this disconnect. So he's this master writer. Give us this magic. Kind of give us a little bit of this magic. Just give us Shakespeare 101. So if I, let's pretend I'm a student who like, I've never been on Shakespeare before. Imagine me when I was in ninth grade walking into Uh and uh, with my little script. that was just yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> it feels like yesterday that was yeah. oh my gosh that was like a, over a decade ago it Isn't was crazy mm-hmm. oh yeah. goodness <laughs> yeah. yeah I had no idea anything Shakespeare when I walked into that room so we're talking to Katie Ann yeah. back then give us some well, magic yeah so yeah like you said like Shakespeare's kind of become like vegetables right like <laughs> he's the like broccoli of society <laughs> yeah it's like it's good yeah. for us but like yeah. let me so have a candy funny. bar instead yeah. But it's not it, like it really like it, <laughs> oh my gosh I yeah I okay so I think one of the I mean I'm very very glad uh-huh and I think it's very valuable that the entire country studies Shakespeare it's uh-huh. like part of the core curriculum I I think that's good so don't misunderstand this next thing I'm going to say okay but I do feel like I I when I think of of 
students learning about Shakespeare the first time in their like English classes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine like Shakespeare himself, like watching that if he could, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I bet you he'd be just so baffled, but like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you reading this? Like right. he never, I, in my mind, he like never intended those things to be read. The idea uh-huh. that things would be mass produced, like books was not a thing in his time period. So like, right. um, he was, and so I, so this is leading me to the answer to your question, which is, I think, uh-huh. The way to approach Shakespeare at the beginning, if you could, is remembering that he was not writing that to be read mm-hmm. by you as an audience. He meant that for to be heard mm-hmm. by you as the audience. He meant it to be read by the actor who was going to mm-hmm. then portray that person. And if you can just shift your mindset into that, I think that that is so helpful as you read. So, so I don't think it's, right. it's bad to read Shakespeare. I think it's fantastic. This is actually a great time to pause and have a moment for our sponsors because they've given me so much confidence in the financial world. I actually started this podcast because I was afraid of finances for a really long time until I took a class on how to budget and my fear changed to confidence. Utah Money Moms has continued to help my confidence grow. They provide free webinars and downloadable resources to help you understand your money personality and hone it in to make a good financial future. One of my favorite resources is their free downloadable calendars. I love the 2021 calendar because it gave me small, doable financial goals each month. So head on over to utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram to download their 2022 finance calendar and start your journey of finances with confidence. Again, that's utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram. When he wrote them, he did write them down. And there was like one written copy. And and the way the actors memorized their lines is he would write out, um, just their lines for them. And they would have only their lines. Got and it. then there was one copy of the whole play in order that okay. like the, for lack of a better term, the stage manager would have backstage to make sure uh-huh. everyone said their lines in the right order. Okay. And it's hard. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. hard because the punct- the reason why they've quote unquote corrected things as time went on, because mm-hmm. the punctuation is not where it should be quote unquote, and things yeah. are not spelled correctly, but that is all and this is what I learned from Neil Freeman, the mm-hmm. man with the two PhDs in it. Yeah, uh, that was all on purpose. Right. Shakespeare was writing that to the actors to help them get those like deep, like what's going on deep inside of Hamlet, for example. And he would write and extend certain spellings of words to to show that that word really like hits him in his core and. Mm-hmm. I, I'm taking all the commas out of this because this person's thought process is just going and he's just like speaking faster than he can think. And all those things were in there to help the actor portray it because they didn't have directors in that day. Shakespeare was like directing the actors through what he was writing. And so that's what I think is the best way to like, as you read Shakespeare to, to pretend that you're an actor in Shakespeare's Mm -hmm. day and Shakespeare's giving you these hints on how to really get even deeper into the the psyche of and the heart of each of these people and and that's what he wanted a reader to do would then be able to portray that person's life experience right and i think that's maybe where we go wrong a little bit when we read shakespeare's because we read it with the mindset of an audience like mm-hmm. you're this should entertain me mm-hmm. um and if he was trying to entertain you he wouldn't have written it down Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not what it, like we have tons of novels today that are meant to, I mean, not entertain, but like, you know, provide the joy of reading Shakespeare's plays were never meant to be read or provide you any joy from reading. 
but they were meant the the manuscripts to help actors be able to portray the deep humanity of of these people. And so when you read it, and I do think you should read it, mm-hmm. if you can maybe think in that term of like, what is Shakespeare telling me about this particular type of human being? Mm-hmm through this text and when he uses alliteration and when he changes up the rhythm of the iambic pentameter. And those are all hints to what's going on inside the like soul of the character. And then you're kind of like the, 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 the person trying to figure out the treasure map of how to get in there. And I think if you approach reading Shakespeare that way, it just is, it's so neat. And, I and really agree. Great. I think that's a whole huge shift. Like when you can go from, I'm reading Shakespeare for a story. So we're now, that's broccoli. That's it. We're not doing that anymore. Everyone on this podcast, we are going to read Shakespeare now, trying to understand the person. So I want you to go into some of, you You also mentioned iambic pentameter. So explain to us iambic mm-hmm. pentameter and also give us a couple things with uh, the text of punctuation and whatnot that gives mm. us more insight. I remember the first time you told me, um, uh, and if I get these mixed up, correct me, but the colon is a logical connection and the mm-hmm. semicolon is an emotional connection for, yep, that's for correct, the, yeah. yes, I got it. That was yep. decade ago and I still remember. Yeah, Here we go. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, makes, um, that, that makes you feel so good as a teacher. That's great. Oh, that's you got it. You got it. <laughs> and um, also just the way that the, the actors did it was word coloring. So can you also explain that mm-hmm. to us of how they word colored and give us some of that, that juicy text part that's going to help us understand these characters. Yeah. So um, Shakespeare uh, wrote a lot of his stuff, not all of it, in iambic pentameter, which is not something he invented. Um, other playwrights were writing in iambic pentameter as well. That was that was a, a common thing for the time period. Uh, iambic pentameter is, um, and when he's writing in like blank verse, like in poetry, mm-hmm which is not always. And, and there's, I could go into so many things about when he has characters speak in poetry and when he has them not, when he has them speak in prose, they call it. Um, But we won't get into that, but when they are speaking in poetry, which is about 68% Mm -hmm. of the time in Shakespeare's plays, um, he always puts them in iambic pentameter. And uh, the scholars say the reason for that is, is iambic pentameter has the rhythm of da-da, 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 da-da which mm-hmm. is basically the rhythm of our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. That we go, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, breathe. Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, breathe. And, and that's blank verse, meaning mm-hmm. if, if you don't mess with it at all. But very rarely do Shakespeare's characters, when they're speaking in I Make Pentameter, are they speaking in blank verse? Because he uses that as like, here's just the, the basic Right. And if anything is going on with the character, we're going to show that by how that rhythm gets messed up. So sometimes there'll be like an extra foot, they call us. You go, da 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 And sometimes that can give a hint to you that the character is, as we mentioned before, like speaking faster mm-hmm. than, than, than they can think. Mm-hmm. And so they, they ha- added an extra uh, foot in there. Or yeah. sometimes it'll go like, but up, but up, but da 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 da, and you get kind of a wonky um, uh, mess up of, and a trochee gets put in there. These are all words that, if you get interested, you, you can look up and stuff. But yeah. um, in the rhythm of the poetry, and he does all of that on purpose, right, to show where the the heartbeat of that character 
which words are causing them their heart to skip a beat. Mm-hmm. And 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 the times when Romeo says the word Juliet, he gets off rhythm. And 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 it gives you these like hints in, into all of that. Right. Is all over the place mm-hmm. in in the in his in his works and stuff. So right. By definition, iambic pentameter means, if you break it down, a meter of five iams. And an iamb is da-da, like Mm -hmm. a a foot that has two syllables and goes unstressed, stressed. So da-da is an iamb. So iambic pentameter is five iams, da-da, 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 da-da. Okay, now talk us through some punctuation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 very odd if you look at the first folio. Punctuation is pretty specific to the first mm-hmm. folio because um, as best as we know, and like I said, I learned this from Neil Freeman, and I guess there's a, a I think it's a very small chance, but there's a chance that this is just completely wrong. But from what we can tell, that first folio yeah. is pretty close to those original manuscripts. We don't actually have the original manuscripts, so we don't know for sure. But yeah. it's also the thing that most modern texts have corrected quote unquote mm-hmm. corrected because it's not there's a character will go on forever before they get to like a period or a full stop or an exclamation mm-hmm. mark or whatever um and that's on shakespeare did that on purpose because those periods were meant to mark to an actor a period is where in the original text of shakespeare in the first folio a period is where the the character is completely changing they're they're still in the same argument, but changing the the like I, I like to think of it like an outline of an essay. Like they're moving now yeah. to the next like arg- the next stage of the argument there. That makes sense. And those were all marked because in the time, Shakespeare and, and lots of people in the time, they, they were all taught uh, rhetorically and they were taught rhetoric a lot more than we were. And so all of his characters speak in these like arguments and they go from point to point to point and those are separated by the periods in the original text when you have a more modern text they add a whole lot more periods where you would expect them nowadays and that make more sense to you in your brain so it actually is good because they're sentences then that make sense to you Mm -hmm. but it's not actually what the original actors acted at that point Mm -hmm. so that's the thing about periods the cool my favorite punctuation thing is the exclamation mark um, they because are rare. they are rare. very, very rare in the first mm-hmm. folio. They are there, but usually about like maybe six or seven in an entire play. Mm-hmm. And he uses them very sparingly, but that's something that if you read a modern text, modern editors, they just throw those exclamation marks out all over the place. If the character mm-hmm. is saying something like, Oh, I wish he were dead. They would be like, add an exclamation mark there. But that Shakespeare didn't want one there. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that there, but he he did use them and he used them very sparingly. So it's always fun when you're studying the first folio and there's an exclamation mark, like, you it's know. Big deal. Yeah, something's yeah. going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, I love that too. Um, is there a line of Shakespeare that's just resonated with you? Is there, or a play? Oh, my gosh. oh um. Uh, all of it. The, the thing about like, all of it. Yeah, all of it. Uh, but at different times, that's what's uh, so neat. Is yes, like at I different agree. stages in my life, different things come out mm-hmm. to me that I. So I, my favorite play is Cymbeline. Mm, okay. I'm like Katie Ann. Her favorite is Pericles. And Cymbeline, <laughs> the kind of weirdo plays, right? Kind of weirdo like, plays. Don't know yeah. 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 Um, beautiful story that that uh-huh. gives me honestly like so much hope. 
um, and has the coolest characters mm -hmm. in that. That story is bonkers cool. And <sighs> one day you should have somebody tell you that story, listeners, because it's so cool. The story. You know, so cool. I've never but, seen it in person yet. I'm I'm waiting for that day. I need to see that one. So that's that's that brings <sighs> you to, to my point because they just did it at Utah Shakes, uh -huh. um, the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Two, no, just this last. I think this last summer they did something. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of my favorite shows. I've directed the show before. Um, and like, I know it inside now. I've made my own like adaptation of it and stuff. But seeing it last summer, there were, there were some lines that I was like, I don't remember hearing that before. But like really hit me in, at that moment in my life and, and things. And that is all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, Hamlet, like things like that, all, depending on what stage you are, King Lear, oh my gosh. What, what stage you are in oh. your life, different things, at least for me, I, I don't know how to say it other than like they kind of jump off the page and you're like, whoa, it really feels like the, when I read this three years ago, this was not here. I did not notice this, oh, 100%. but it was, but because of the, the stage of life you're in now, it all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why Shakespeare, well, I know for me, that's why Shakespeare is like, it never gets old mm -hmm. because for some reason I, there's more things to discover each time that I, I look at it again and I don't yeah. know that's, what's different about Shakespeare than any other playwright or, or novelist. Like that is weird to me, mm -hmm. um, how that happens. I, I totally cool. agree with that. Um, and Shakespeare coming at different points in your life. I have to say, I do love the history plays. Those are my favorite. Um, yeah, well, me too. As we're kind of wrapping up though, I want you to talk us through the different categories of the place. So yeah, there's, I'm, there's, you know, tragedies and comedies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, depending on whose category, because Shakespeare did not categorize these himself. He just wrote these plays. And when the folio came out, um, they tried to put them in categories. And mm -hmm. so it depends on who you're talking to, but uh, there's usually about 10 of each. Um, tragedies are the ones where not only the hero, but most everybody else is dead at the end. Mm -hmm. Comedies are the ones that end in a marriage. Mm -hmm. That's actually what usually defines a comedy. And it doesn't have are to be they, funny. Right. I, are they usually? Yeah. Yes. But right. the actual defining characteristic is that it ends in a union rather mm -hmm. than in a death. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the two main ones. And then the history plays. There are 10 of those, no matter which way you slice it. There are 10 of those that take you through the history from uh, King John to Henry VIII. Um, not accurately at all. Right. They're, they're meant, he kind of uses actual history as a loose template to explore the human condition. Right. So he, he doesn't feel bad about playing with timelines and playing with, and I think uh, with that too, you have to that. notice too, like his audience is, he's writing to the queen of England right. at the time, correct? And so she of course, yeah. right. He's like on commission to her. So of course he's going to adjust the history to make England like, oh, you know. Well, and, and you also got to remember, cause like, um, one of the bigs that you mentioned here, the sixth part two, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's in a section of plays that kind of deal with the war of the roses, which was a gigantic mm -hmm. civil war where half the country felt really strong about one thing and half the country felt really strong about another thing. Mm -hmm. And that was only a couple of generations before Shakespeare himself. So he was writing just about like, like for us, like maybe the Kennedy administration, you know, like, okay. like just kind of removed. Okay. Um, but the, but the country was still kind of in those two factions when he was writing, which 
if that's, I mean, it doesn't take too much of a, of a stretch to realize, oh, we're in a similar situation. And right. so when you think that like the queen was a member of one of those two parties, mm-hmm. and so he's writing his plays in a way that make that party look good because she's paying for it. Right. So um, you, all, you have to look through those histories with a little bit of grain of salt in that sense of like, okay, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, 100%. But. No, I, I love that you mentioned that too, because yes, you can't just take these histories as like, wow, this is my history lesson. No, sorry, Shakespeare didn't write yeah, that way. It's It definitely has his interpretation on it. But yeah. like you said, his themes are timeless. And I, I really like what you said is, yeah, wow, our world is kind of really divided. We are in the same situation as Shakespeare back to that idea of Shakespeare truly is timeless. So as we're coming to end with our conversation here, I really hope our listeners have come to start to love just, I hope the little bit of magic has been installed in you of Shakespeare that at least you're seeing that it's timeless and that you're willing to go and open that first folio. And I think the magic really happens when you're in the text. So open the first folio. Now, you know, kind of how, how to navigate it, go through, try amipretameter, look at the, the punctuation. Yeah. One thing I, that I, I, I like to do, even still, mm-hmm. I like to do this. So it's not just like a beginner thing, but it definitely yeah. helped me when I was beginning is I, I'll like go online and find mm-hmm. like a summary, a scene by scene summary <gasps> of what happens. Yes. And, and just scene by scene, like I'll go, okay, open up the play act one, scene one. I'll look on the summary and it'll tell me, here's what happens in act one, scene one. So my mm-hmm. brain isn't getting lost trying to figure out what's happening. Cause I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then I can read the text and see how Shakespeare sets that up without the worry of like, I don't understand what's happening because the summary in like modern English explained it to me already. And so the stress of, I don't understand is gone and I can just really look at what Shakespeare wrote in there. So I recommend doing that yeah. too, especially if you're like, I, I don't know, I read it and I don't understand. Read the some little paragraph summary first, then go through and read and you'll get a lot more. Okay, that's a really big point. I'm so glad that you brought that up because every time, because I'm a Shakespeare enthusiast, love Shakespeare, studied it now ever since I was in ninth grade with you now over a decade. But I still, whenever I see a play, I make sure I read the summary beforehand for that very purpose. So I'm not stuck in the action, but I'm I'm able to explore the person because that's truly, like we've discussed before, that's really what Shakespeare is doing. It's not this entertainment of events but it's an exploration of the human being and so yes please go our listeners go and look up that summary read it before you watch before you read even enthusiasts people love Shakespeare still go into the modern modern day summary it is not like the summary just because you don't understand Shakespeare it's to help you get into what Shakespeare really wanted you to so I thank you for that and I want to ask you, just like we do on every every episode here, what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? And I'm going to say that younger self that walked into Shakespeare without really having any intention of, of even being in that room. What, what piece of advice would you give that younger self to boost your confidence? Um, well, I guess I... I mean, I was thinking about that because I know you asked this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't actually thinking in terms of Shakespeare, but uh, or that version of of myself at that stage. But I, it absolutely does apply, and it's a piece of advice that luckily I took at that age, mm-hmm. and I'm glad. At other stages, I did not. I was not so open to take this advice. But my the advice that I would say now is. Um, 
to be open to new experiences. Hmm. Um, I, as a young person was very much, uh, like set in like, here's, here's what is right. Here's what is wrong. Here's what you do. Here's what, and I think I missed a lot of, um, of doors and, 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 and different things because I, I thought I had things figured out or do you know what I mean? And I, I wasn't as my heart wasn't as open it could be, but I guess in that moment it was to, to in, have something new enter. I, it's something I do see with a lot of teenagers. I'm, I'm still a high school teacher and, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a bit of a struggle to get kids to try something new mm-hmm. that they've already defined themselves at 14 years old. Like I'm a, this type of kid and this is the thing I do. And, um, and I just have found, I think life is so much richer and so much f- more full, uh, when you keep your heart and, and yourself open to new experiences and new ideas and, and new thoughts um, and breathe is the other part of advice I wanted to give my younger self. Like, it's okay if things don't go how you thought they would. Um, breathe, embrace those new and different things. You'll probably find a way to make it. I, I don't want to say breathe, it'll all be okay. But I do want to say breathe, you will find a way to make it okay. I really love that. I'm so glad that you've come on the show and just helped me, my little Shakespeare enthusiastic self, have this moment again. (laughs) And I really hope our listeners just are going to go and just go open up a piece of Shakespeare of the first first folio, guys. Go look it up. Just say first folio Shakespeare, type in a play, and just try. Just experience with it for a little bit. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. That was neat. That was fun. Absolutely. Next week on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. But it also has to do with the fact that uh, a little caterpillar will will go in and make a cocoon and they feel safe inside. And then when they're done, then they fly away. And that's what we want to create. We create the safe space for children to be, to learn, to learn in a way that's comfortable for them. And then eventually when they're ready, then they can fly off. I think a lot of times the feeling of fear comes from a lack of control in our lives. And our sponsor, PowerPay, is offering a money master course that's normally $40 for free to all Full Confidence Ahead podcast listeners so you can take control of your finances this year. The course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. So to claim your course, go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Pal, which is K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L, and it'll automatically add the money master course course to your cart and you just click check out and you'll get it for free. You can also access your course by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the money master course under the finance category, then using the code KATIEANN, K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N with no spaces to claim your $40 discount and free course at checkout. So let's master our money together. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.